0: I miss a green for example I'm already upset when I find my ball in the bunker I'm really upset and when I find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg, fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course Meg, what is your favorite WGC match play memory?
1: There's, you know, a lot to choose from. Um, It's more for the after, the after effects than what actually happened on the course. But Sergio and Kuchar 2019, the video afterwards, I think it was Sergio that posted it on his Instagram. But, you know, the typical you leave one that's an inch. Yeah, I think Sergio left his putt a couple inches out. Kuchar. You know, he swiped it. Kuchar didn't have time to give it to him. And then all hell broke loose. Um, I think it, was, it, it went on like for a few holes. Like Sergio was, they were kind of clapping at each other for a few holes there. And then, you know, match-ins. And I don't know what, <laughs> why they felt the need to, <laughs> to you know, rile up social media by putting it out there. But them on the golf cart, they're still in Austin. It's the day after. And, you it's more like just them kind of squished on that, on that cart together. They're very close. Yep. Sergio is kind of leaning forward. Kuchar's got his like arm over the side, but it looks like he's kind of got his arm around Sergio. And then they just give this convoluted, you know, it's just, it's incorrect. Sergio, you know, he did the right thing. And then Sergio comes back and he's like, you know, I, 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 I messed up and Kuchar handled it well. And, it's like, are we really believing what we're saying here, guys? <laughs> what's uh no, clearly what's not. The, yeah, what's really going on there? But the, the the awkwardness of those two is right after, you know, Kucher's in the news for Stiff in the Caddy shortly before then. So it's just like, you know, you can't just stay off of social media for a while, Kucher. It's not going to go well for you. So of, yeah. of many to choose from, that more for the off of the course uh, than on yeah. the course. So it's just, you know, that one will will live forever
0: and the And the p r disasters that follow these two guys around or were following them around at the time just kind of contributed a subtext to the whole thing. These were two golfers that nobody was really all that into at the time <laughs> sure, sure. and it was just sort of delightful to see them go at each other and then sort of fake make up and you know it was it was just the perfect Sergio Coer moment. It would have never happened if every tournament were stroke play. I guess right. that's the serious point here: is that, you know, nothing like this would be possible in a stroke play only tour, which is what we're going to have next year because the match play isn't coming back, and that's very sad. So my my memory was <laughs> sort of similar. I'm going to the drama again, but Keegan Bradley versus Miguel <laughs> Angel Jimenez at the 2015 match play. I'm pretty sure people are familiar with this with this story, but Keegan was taking kind of a you know, maybe a potentially sketchy drop. Jimenez got involved in the situation. And then Keegan's caddy at the time, Steve Pepsi Hale, got pretty <laughs> mad. Perfect. And and just the fact that the, a guy named Pepsi is involved in this sort of takes it to another level. But, you know, Jimenez told him to shut up. Pepsi said, No, you don't tell me to shut up, and said it like three more times and, and like sort of came up behind Keegan and looked over his shoulder at Jimenez and said, No, you don't tell me to shut up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Keegan got in Jimenez's face. It was just so much fun to see this. Keegan even admitted afterwards, I believe, that Jimenez had gotten the best of him when it came to gamesmanship in that moment. And, uh, just, uh, just a lovely memory just uh just something that I'll will always sort of take with me and uh and it's it's very sad now you know looking back on that it's like you know it, you know an in inside out how the the little uh orbs that represent memory take on different colors as yeah. the main character gets older yeah. and you know like happy memories sometimes take on a little bit of sadness and retrospect and that's how i feel about the keegan bradley versus jimenez uh memory at this point it's a my the, the orb of that memory has taken on a little bit of blue um yeah. now that the match play is is done
1: it didn't it didn't take us long to get to animated movie talk there garrett
0: <laughs> I know that this is a common ground (laughs) between you and me, Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Very, very, very much so. We've both
0: got multiple kids running around at the age that uh, Pixar movies are going to resonate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's just kind of perfect that Saturday was so fantastic Uh, and Sunday were both so fantastic this year that, you know, and now it's gone. So it, it's, it's it's very it's too bad. I I really really hope they figure out a, made a way to make it work because we got to have something.
0: You're listening to the Friday Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison. That is Meg Atkins, and in today's show. I'm going to actually call up Ann Walker, the head coach of Stanford Women's Golf. We talk about Stanford's season so far, as well as the three Stanford players who are participating in the Augusta National Women's Amateur this week. And in fact, Meg and I, are going to be at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. We're going to be covering it on site. We're leaving tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday, putting this podcast out on Tuesday. We'll be in the air tomorrow, right, Meg, uh, going to the ANWA. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode. Mainly, it's going to be me and uh, Anne talking about her players who are going to be participating in that event. But we'll have plenty of Friday coverage from the ground there. But first, Meg and I are going to discuss the state of the LPGA tour right now. We all know that the PGA Tour is in a time of upheaval, but I would argue that the future of the LPGA Tour is even less certain at this point. The LPGA just held the Drive-On Championship in Arizona this past week. Uh, Celine Boutier won in a playoff over Georgia Hall. Any notable takeaways from this tournament, Meg?
1: It was good to have them back in the Phoenix uh, area. I think it had been quite a few years. Uh, I think feedback from what I saw from players was, was positive with the course. I don't know if Superstition Mountain really gets you very jazzed up there, Garrett. But um, <laughs> I think the players, you know, a good reception, uh, fan turnout looked to be pretty impressive too. But yeah, I think the leaderboard going into Sunday was like twenty-five plus players within, uh, you know, three four shots. It
0: was ultra bunched. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even within um, after round two, I looked at it and I think it was you know something like twenty-two players within two shots. It was like a few players at at minus fifteen, a few more at like a bunch at minus fourteen, a bunch at minus thirteen. A lot of players had a chance going into the the last day.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, and big names too up there. And that, you know, when we talk about the LPGA and one of the differentiators of the LPGA and until, you know, now we've got these designated events on the PGA side of things, one of the big differentiators was the big names were there all the time for the LPGA events because you didn't have as diluted of a schedule and you had, you know, the top 20 showing up in a, at the same place, you know, a lot of the time. And you got, we got that again this weekend, uh, just an incredible leaderboard. You know, Jen Young-Ko was up there. I think we just have to get used to seeing her in the top 10 for everything now. So that the comeback, you know, knock on wood looks to be complete. Um, things are just really shaping up well for the rest of of the season with, with her, uh, you know, coming back from injury, Lydia Coe's already won. Nelly Corder's been in the mix. Um, You've got a ton, a ton of talent. And we've got some tournaments in the next months that I'm super pumped about because of how well the top talent's playing and the venues that they're going to.
0: So we're going to get to some of the doubts and conflicts on the LPGA Tour in a minute. But to start with some of the positives, you know, what you're talking about here every LPGA Tour event is a designated event, essentially, right? Because all the top players tend to show up to every event on the schedule because there just aren't as many LPGA Tour events as there are PGA Tour events, and the players aren't getting as much money as the as the players on the men's side, and so they're a little more incentivized to actually show up to a really full slate of events on an annual basis. And we also have an interesting state of play at the top of the women's game right now at the top of the Rolex rankings. Tell me about what's happening at that very, very top tier. What are the kind of rivalries? What are the questions about the very elite players in the women's game right now?
1: Big three always kind of gets thrown around, but we we may be in that situation with Lydia Ko, Nellie Korda, and Jin Young Ko. One, two, three in the Rolex rankings. And then fourth, you have Ataya Titakun, you know, just a stalwart of the leaderboards. Uh, the only thing that's separating her from that big three is the major win. I uh, would not be surprised at all to see that happen this year. Um, but it, we, those three are just, not only are they one, two, three this year, you know, we've got years and years of, of stellar elite play. And it's been a while, though, before you've had all three in the mix at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Lydia's drop off, you know, a handful of years ago, Nelly, we were, everybody's went, when's, when's the big win going to come for Nelly? We finally got it. Then Jin and Co was kind of struggling with injury. And now, like I said, knock on wood, but I would love to have some of these big tournaments coming up, you know, where they're all in the mix, those elite players going at it head to head.
0: Let me... Uh, name a few players who are sort of in, as far as I can see, tier two right now. Tier one, those top three players: Lydia Ko, Nelly Korda, Jin Young Ko. I think that those players have done enough to sort of claim that top tier. Ataya Tidikun, uh, who you've mentioned a few a few times before, may be challenging for that top tier herself. We might need to see a major win from her before we can really consider her a member of that. But she's right on the edge for sure. Then you have Minji Lee, you have Lexi Thompson, who is still really strongly ranked, even though the primary narrative around her is that she just hasn't been able to put together a final round of a major in, in recent memory. Brooke Henderson is up there, Inji Chun, Hyoju Kim, Nasa Haraoka, right, great Japanese player. And then maybe you could consider Leona McGuire being in there, maybe Danielle Kang also in tier two so when you're looking at that group of players who do you think is the best bet to break into tier one maybe aside from Ataya, right because she is uh she's young and we we don't know what she's capable of yet and perhaps she has that that ability but you know of those other players who do you think is uh you know somebody that we could see really breaking through
1: well you know speaking of of majors and drama, you know in the majors, there's somebody who always delivers that and if they're in the mix and that's Lexi Thompson. So yeah, um, I think for her to kind of get that giant monkey off the back now that's that's there with all the the stumbles and the and the you know blow ups to be honest that she's that she's had. She's a tier one name. Yes. She's probably one of the more popular, most popular. You know, players out there um the resume is not tier one for the talent that she has it's it's a long career you know the the stat that always gets thrown out when it's u.s open time is she's been playing in them since she was you know whatever 13 and and she's the record is just it's so lengthy and it's like you know there's gotta we gotta have one more in us right there's gotta be one more in there for her um so a uh, tier one name, but the resume I would love to see, not only for the fireworks that would ensue. It, it, you know, there's always always some drama on on Sundays with her in the majors. Um, but uh, another one besides Lexi, um, Brooke Henderson has won this year already. Again, just extremely talented and been out there for, for years and years now. Um, very, very, very popular. I think she's got that that next gear. Mm-hmm. That not very many players have where and she just makes it look so easy. It's 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 just effortless when she kind of reels off and can go real real low. You know, those are big names that people who maybe don't tune in or only tune in for, tune in for the majors, more casual fans, that would be huge for the LPGA to kind of get those big names getting more big victories.
0: And the crazy thing about Brooke Henderson is that she's only twenty-five. She she won the twenty sixteen Women's PGA Championship, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> it's we've a long been familiar ago. with her for a long time now. But we've got to keep in mind that she is twenty-five, which is very very young. She's got a long career ahead of her, presumably, you know, a lot of years. And so presumably we should see more from her. Lexi Thompson is also still young, even though we've been familiar with her since she was you know, 12, 13 years old. And so you have to keep in mind that a lot of these players, uh, these uh, players on the LPGA Tour, they might come to our attention a lot earlier than male players. And you have to just keep in mind that they're still young. If they, Even if they've been around for 10, 15 years, they might still be in their 20s.
1: Right. It's it's wild how early it starts out for for some of them. And the other benefit to having, you know, these big names separate a bit from the pack is I think one of the struggles of the LPGA tour is it's not as easy to become a fan of the LPGA as it is for the PGA because of coverage, because of the wonky schedule because of you know tape delays and whatnot and while parody is good and the the depth of the talent improving is good the first time winners we're tuning in as a casual fan and you've never even heard that name before it's hard to kind of follow and gain and get that momentum of seeing you know those big names pull off victories Mm -hmm. so i'm all about the youth and the depth of talent it's it's super impressive. We're going to see so much of that this weekend at, at the Anwar. But for the fan experience, having some of these big names start to dominate would be very, very helpful for growing fans and gaining popularity for the LPGA Tour.
0: So one major reason it's kind of hard to get into LPGA Tour golf is that the beginning of the schedule is so, so difficult to follow. Here we are in late March, and it feels like the LPGA season is just getting started. Why does it feel that way? Can you, can you take us through the tournaments that have happened so far? Because presumably this season starts in January.
1: It, it technically does, but yeah. it's So January, you have the Tournament of Champions, similar to the Century TOC on the men's side. And that that's down in Florida. That's the one Brooke Henderson won. Then you have had almost a month break before you went to the Asian Swing Thailand and Singapore. And then you had a couple more weeks break and we just had the drive on this past weekend.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there was supposed to be another tournament for that Asian Swing in China, but that got canceled. The Tournament Champions is limited field. Uh, you have to be pretty top tier to get invited and to be able to play over in Asia. So you have... An extra extra long break for a lot of these players, where you had like a bunch of them playing in the Epson Tour that was in Arizona a couple weeks ago, just to get some reps. Yeah. Um, Brittany Lincicum was playing over there. It's wild to think about. It's a big whiff for the beginning part of the year. If you think about it on the men's side, it's the best. It's the time best of the part year. of the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best part of the th- schedule. Th-
0: this is this is a time when people at least American fans, and I want to be specific about that sure. because the Asian swing is important. Women's golf is is very popular in Korea, as we know, and potentially there is an audience in Asia for those tournaments that is very significant for the LPGA Tour to reach. But for American fans, January, February, March, really good time to be following golf, and we just don't get it on the LPGA Tour. Those events in uh, in in Asia are on in the middle of the night for american fans it's It's kind of hard to follow those, and that's fine again, go to Asia by all means have those tournaments, but the fact that there aren't any tournaments really for American fans to hook into until the drive on is striking
1: it's 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 tough and you know they're they're going to Hawaii and the West Coast in the next couple of weeks i I have said it before, I don't know why tournament of champions and it it definitely won't be now that it's, you know, grown and grown and it's not just champions anymore on the men's side. But making that a joint event just logically made so much sense to me. You're not in the thick of the schedule. You're not having to, there's not the logistics of of the middle part of the season that you'd have to deal with. You both have tournament of champions events. Why not put them together in Hawaii in January and then come on over and do your West coast swing then and, or go over and do a longer Asian swing because like you said, the crowds for those events in Thailand and in Singapore were huge. Those are massive, massive events and the players love going over there and getting that type of reception. They need to have a good tournaments for, a good amount of time over in Asia. And with China getting canceled, you just had two, which makes the travel a little bit more difficult as well to get there and then come back with the Chevron changing venues. You're going over to Texas instead where it used to kind of work out perfectly with that West Coast swing being in in Palm Springs. It's just you feel like there's no momentum when you could have kind of built up some more of these incredible storylines with this top talent playing so well at the same time. And you know, this is a, again a very American fan here of bias. But yeah, it's it's very stuttered, it's very wonky. I hope there's more cohesion coming next year.
0: So, another little bit of doubt about the LPGA tour and its future has to do with the power struggle as I see it and as I think you see it. Between the LPGA Tour, the Ladies European Tour, or L.E.T., and our old friends in the Saudi Arabian royal family. So what is going on there?
1: Yeah, it's interesting times, for sure. Um, You just had the Saudi Ladies International with a $5 million purse. The Chevron, I believe, has a $5.1 million purse. So money-wise you have the Saudi Ladies International up there with the majors as far as, you know, the purse money goes. There's a ton of big names over there. It's only gotten better with the players going over there year and year as they've up this purse. How do you turn that purse down? One, if you're an LET player. Two, if you're an LPGA player, you know, maybe not the, the top tiers, tier one, tier two that we've talked about but you're looking for starts, you're looking for reps at the beginning of the season, why not go over there and, one, get some competitive reps, and, two, play for one of the biggest purses you're going to be able to play for all year. You know, it, it, with all these, you know, presenting sponsors and, all, uh, you know, everybody getting a, a brand tagged onto their tournament, it's is the L.E.T., the Ladies European Tour, presented by Aramco at this point. hmm if Aramco decided they were done with women's golf and they backed out of the LET tomorrow, would the LET be able to stand on its own?
0: It was barely standing on its own before right. this partnership emerged in the past couple of years. But now that Aramco is is sort of backing the Ladies European Tour in a way, the LET is looking like it might be on firmer footing than even the LPGA Tour
1: a wild statement. If you were no one would believe that a few years ago. So the big question that's up in the air is that the LET delayed a vote to merge with the LPGA back at the end of the end of last year. It's very murky on when that vote is going to happen if they've scheduled it again. But I think it's very interesting how that would work if the LET votes to merge with the LPGA. So there would be, you know, probably more playing opportunities. Um, it makes sense on a lot of on a, in a lot of ways. But how does the LPGA's strategic alliance with the PGA? How does that work when now you've got the LET under the LPGA umbrella being propped up by Ramco and purses funded by the PIF? And normally I would, you know, well okay, well what strategic alliance between the PGA and the LPGA. That's always a bunch of lip service. But now, you know, we've got this mixed event coming in December. The the there's actual action behind uh, so many of the of the promises about that coming for years and years and years. Now it is in December. It's, you know, the silly season, yes, but you have a real tie there now between the PGA and the LPGA. It's a very tricky, going to be very delicate if if they do vote to merge. Or they don't vote to merge and keep on riding riding the wave of the Aramco money that's, you know, been flowing in for years now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the LET doesn't have any reason to merge with the LPGA tour at this point. A few years ago, the LET was just like hanging on by a thread. And looking at the LPGA Tour as a potential savior, right? This this merger would allow European players to continue to compete for decent purses. But man, the L.E.T. was really in trouble. Now, I don't think that the L.E.T. needs the LPGA Tour at all. And in fact, the LPGA Tour is put in this weird position where are its players going to look at the L.E.T., look at the purses being offered, funded, by the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia and say, you know what? This LPGA tour schedule is kind of (laughs) weird. Things are moving around all the time. Why am I not going to play full time on the L.E.T.? Now, I think a lot of players would, would probably say a lot of American players would say I'd, I'd rather play on my home country's tour, but you know, what about some of the excellent Asian players on the LPGA tour? Why wouldn't they go with an L.E.T. heavy schedule. And already, in fact, we see a lot of LPGA Tour stars playing in that Aramco series on the L.E.T., playing more L.E.T. events than they really ever have before. And so I think that the L.E.T. is, is starting to emerge not as a potential league that the LPGA tour could save or absorb but as a legitimate competitor and threat to the LPGA tour's dominance in women's competitive golf and it's it's just really interesting
1: agreed 100% if you look at like the 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 stumbles that LIV on the men's side has had in recent months they could have done something like that on the men's yeah thrown up 15 20
0: million it's and- totally what they should have done. I don't know. I, it's a Monday morning quarterback. But th- this is, I mean, the way that they've, they've gotten their tentacles into the L.E.T. has been so clever. And to be clear, I'm disturbed by it, Yeah, right? Yeah, it's- the, the source of the money is, is still extremely icky. But you have to look at the way that they've worked their way into the L.E.T. and just say, yeah, that's smart. That's the way to go about this with minimal PR blowback and maximum control over a significant tour in, in women's golf
1: with zero lawsuits, you know, <laughs> yes. it, it's, it's way less messy. All
0: right. So we've got some good tournaments coming up on uh, the LPGA tour schedule this coming week. And correct me if I'm wrong, Meg, uh, the LA open at uh palace Verdes is, uh, is on the docket. Yes, um, And so that, that's a, a terrific course and a, a very, very good tournament. And so there's a lot to be excited about coming soon on the LPGA tour, as well as some really interesting questions about where women's competitive golf is uh, headed in general. Let's take a quick break. And after that, I'll come back with Coach Ann Walker to talk about Stanford women's golf and the three Stanford players who are competing in the Augusta National Women's Amateur this week. Our partner for this episode is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a shot because I was just looking for a healthy way to start my day and just get off on the right track. I take AG1 first thing in the morning, right as I'm taking the kids to the bus stop, and it just gives me an immediate boost. It makes me feel energetic, healthy, ready to take on the day. I started taking AG1 because I just noticed that my daily habits as a whole weren't the healthiest, and in the meantime, I was covering athletes like Rory McIlroy, Sam Burns, and Cameron Young, who were supremely disciplined in taking care of their bodies, so I thought to myself, there's no reason I can't or shouldn't take a similar approach, so I've started making AG1 part of my daily routine, getting 75 high-quality ingredients that set me up for long-term gut health support. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I'm going to take my travel packs with me to the Augusta National Women's Amateur this week. Go to athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg. That's athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg. Check it out. All right. So, Anne, your official title is the Margot and Mitch Millius Director of Women's Golf. Do you demand to be addressed as such uh, by, by anyone <laughs> and everyone?
2: Only by my husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but Margot and Mitch are wonderful people. We actually just had the pleasure of being with them down at L.A. Country Club um, on the last day that guests could be there, which was special to see what they're doing with the course. Uh, so they're wonderful people, and as often as I can use their name, affiliated with the program and with myself, I take the opportunity.
0: You have a kind of endowed chair as uh, the as the head coach of the uh, women's golf team. I don't is that a uh, is that a common arrangement, or is that just something special about your particular position?
2: No, it's becoming more common. I think Stanford was one of the first to do it. This position's been endowed since the early 2000s, I believe. Oh, really? Okay. So long before me. Uh, all our head coach positions are endowed here now, and I know that schools across the country are doing that as a way to have people just feel like they can be part of the program for a long time and, and give a substantial money m- amount. Sorry. And it takes, you know, it takes money off the books because that's a recurrent endowment for the longevity of the program. So pretty Gotcha.
0: Well, they do it for professorships. So, so why not for yeah. uh, coaching positions as well? Uh, so last season was a bit of a dream season for Stanford women's golf. You were dominant, won the NCAA championship, the season after a season like that is always kind of interesting, right? Because you're you're dealing with some different dynamics whenever you've had a great year. You know, there's some expectations uh, probably that that come about in the title defense. You do have a lot of returning players, however. And so how has it been going so far?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, in the fall, just the high of being the national champions continuing, like you said, we returned a lot of our players and we we played most of them all fall and Um, so you're kind of just still in dreamland where even though you're teen it up, you're still reliving at every moment the the May championship. And then when the calendar year flips, and I remember this from 2015-16 as well, when the calendar year flips, I don't it's almost like a change of mentality. Like you're no longer the reigning national champion, even though you are. You were 2022, now it's 2023. Um, and so you start to forget about it and you start to reassess who are we as a team and what's going on with us. Uh, and unfortunately, this spring, we've lost Rachel Heck to surgery. So that's a huge blow to our program and our team. She's such a dominant leader within our group and a big you know, personality. But with that, the beauty of that is it gives opportunity for rise of leadership, uh, more opportunities for playing for competitors that maybe would have been on the outside looking in. And so I don't really consider us to be the same team or even close to the same team as we were last year. Now that we graduate Lean Crowder uh, and Rachel, who knows, maybe she'll be available at the end of the season, but we're certainly not planning on that. We're planning on um, moving forward and, and being the best we can be without Rachel. And so when I consider that, it's like, okay, well, that's 40% of our lineup is dramatically different. And uh, you add a player like Megagani, who's played for a lot for us this year. She's a freshman, doesn't feel like a freshman. She's very funny. She takes up a lot of space at the table because she tells a great story. She keeps us all laughing. I feel like we've laughed more this year than maybe I have in my 20 years in coaching, just in large part to mega and her stories. Uh, and so it's a completely different dynamic. And I think what comes with that is the expectations that you mentioned, they shift, right? We're not the same team. We're a very different team. We have big aspirations, but so does every other team in the country at this moment. I think another fortuitous thing is we have a lot of experience now. Sadie's been to three national championships. Um, Angelina and her team has been part of a national championship uh, and a couple of others. Brooks being part of three. I've been fortunate to have been part of a ton at this point. And with that experience, you know, that really all this boils down to is who's able to catch, you know, a little lightning right there at the end for three days in May. And if you're fortunate enough to be that team, you might shake out with the trophy whether you were the number one team all season or not. When we won in 2015, we were 16th ranked going into the tournament. And we walked away with the trophy. So I think that's one of the cool parts of this is that over time, I've realized the entire season, really all it does is set you up for a regional bid. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, you know, you have to play great and, and be the right team at the right time.
0: You sort of start fresh.
2: Yeah, you do. You really do. And, you know, we're watching NC two NCAA March Madness right now
0: mm-hmm. on the
2: men's side and the women's side to see what's happened there in the last two weeks with historical numbers being being shattered, like the two number one seeds on the women's side being out, going into the Sweet 16. I think I saw somewhere that hasn't happened since 1997 or something. <laughs> like on the men's side, you know, to have see Princeton go through and, and the Farley Dickinson run. Mm-hmm. These are the cool stories. In golf, it's a little less because, you know, just the way our sport is, but still those stories do exist and we should always be ready for them. And I think that's how we try to move forward in the postseason is nothing's a given. It's a blank slate. You know, you're only as good as your last round. And so let's just try to stay focused one step at a time.
0: Now, obviously, the absence of Rachel Heck has been significant. She is one of the best players in the country, as well as, as I understand it, a, a leader on your team. She's gregarious. She's an outgoing person. Obviously, it helps to have that kind of presence on a team and you notice it when it's gone, and so how has your team, not just in terms of playing, but in terms of of leadership and you know dynamic between the players, tried to fill the gap that that Rachel's absence has has left?
2: Well, the good news is she's around a lot. Uh, that's one of the great things about Stanford. With our still practice- going to classes and all that kind yeah, of stuff. And with yeah, with our practice facility on campus. I mean, I think our clubhouse here is probably, I'm guessing, but 500 yards from her dorm. And so we still see her a ton and she's around a lot. The team's really close. They are together a lot outside of golf, whether it be eating dinner together, breakfast, uh, going to the movies, whatever they're doing. They are together a lot. So I think from a team dynamic standpoint, uh, there really hasn't been a miss there. She's very much still a part of it all. But, you know, just speaking golf wise, obviously, she's one of the top 10 players in the world. She's a former national champion, Pac-12 champion. You know, she has a lot of she has eight wins here at Stanford in a very limited playing career because she didn't play that much last spring due to illness and then this mm-hmm. fall. So the little we have seen, Rachel, she's logged a ton of um, incredible, uh, an incredible resume. And so to, you don't just replace that, of course, but what does happen is it creates an opportunity for someone else in her lineup. But we have a lot of experienced players here who have played at a high level and they've been waiting for this opportunity. And so hopefully when the door is open now, we're going to see one or two cool things come down the stretch.
0: Now this season, Wake Forest also has a very, very strong team. There are mm-hmm. some other great teams as as well, but it seems like there might be potentially a, a, a kind of rivalry maybe brewing between Wake Forest and Stanford that these two programs are, are powerhouses right now. And that could be interesting going towards the end of the season. H- have you noticed that emerging and, and what's your assessment of how your team matches up against uh wake forest's, uh, you know, sort of roster of really strong players.
2: Yeah. I think Kim's done an amazing job there and you look over the course of the last three years, they've been very consistent through, through the regular season and they have gone into the post season with a lot of um, attention and that's mm-hmm. not any different this year. I think they deserve the attention. You look at their roster, like you mentioned individually all those players have done incredible things away from college golf and then in college golf they've all made a name for themselves and had great rankings good experience I think the thing that catches my attention about this Wake Forest team this year is just the experience level you know I can't imagine how it is to have an Amelia come back and be part of your program in two levels one because of the player she is and the maturity but two to have that year away and be looking from the outside in, I know as a coach, the learnings from observing are so high that for Amelia, I can only imagine to have had those learnings through observation and then to come back and be able to actually tap into what she learned and then not only tap into it for herself, but share that with her teammates and her coaches. That's that's an X factor that we're not exposed to very often in college golf. So I think they do have a little bit of an X factor in Amelia. Uh, I look at Rachel Keane She's a senior a ton of experience at the you know they're playing for the US national team and and globally too. So they're not only are they terrific players, they're also returning players who at this point are as experienced as any uh team in the country. So I think they're one to watch for sure. Um I expect that they'll be there all the way to the end and it wouldn't surprise me. And then you know, you look at Kim, Kim has done a great job and she's been layering in her experience too as a coach at that level. And so I think they're a force to reckon with. And I think anyone that wants to try to win this championship is going to have to go through Wake Forest.
0: The Amelia, you mentioned there is Amelia Miliacho, who we actually had on the podcast around this time last year, a, a oh, yeah. delightful person to talk to. And yes, she took that year off and went and, you know, had yeah. some, had some experiences in the world. So that is sort of an interesting thing on, on a college team. So, Stanford has three players participating in the Augusta National Women's Amateur this coming week. You have Rose Zhang, you have Megagane, and you also have Brooke Say uh, participating. Why don't we start with Brooke? Um, Brooke has been with the team, I believe, since 2019. She's a senior, a senior this senior year. Correct. She had that there was the the COVID year, and 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 then she's been back with the program. So, what has Brooke's impact on? the Stanford women's golf program been? How would you, how would you sum that up?
2: Yeah. I think Brooke is a very unique leader in that she doesn't hit your stereotypical, what we, um, you know, what we say about leaders publicly, you know, oh, they're such a force and they're verbal and they're this and they're that. But Brooke, every player on my team, when we have individual meetings and quite often I ask the question, who on this team has impacted you the most?" and almost always it's Brooke Say. She is there for every kid on this team no matter what it might be whether it be golf, personal, academic. Brooke is an incredible academic. She won the Elite uh, award, Elite 90 award at the National Championship last year with mm-hmm. above a 4.0 in human biology,
0: which is wild.
2: I never thought potentially that award would ever come to us at Stanford because it's so hard, you know, to to achieve that here and then to be Brooke Say and be one of the top You know, thirty-five players in the world be a first-team All-American and be winning that award is just outrageous. Yeah. Um, but so there's that. Brooke is a silent leader, but an incredible force because it's so rare to get ten women on a team and have them all think similarly about one person, and they all feel that way about Brooke. So she's just a stalwart when it comes to that as a leader and as a presence on her program. Then you look at her golf. She is sneaky consistent. She's always there or thereabouts. She has an outrageous amount of USGA experience. Uh, I always tease her, and I don't know this to be true. I need to go do my homework. But I believe there's a chance she has played more USGA championships than any amateur currently playing it. would be close. <laughs> but Brooke has been playing in these big USGA events since she was, you know, I think 11 or 12 she started playing in them. So a, a tremendous amount of experience. T to green her ball doesn't move much. She's pin seeker and it stays on there. She's always got a chance. She's very tidy around the green. She's very disciplined. But again, she's very quiet. She, you know, she's not flashy. She just does her business and then off she comes and she posts a score. So uh, Brooke says one to watch for next week, I think. I Again, I, I liken her to maybe an Amelia with experience at this point. Mm-hmm. And so she has all the parts. You know, the thing with Brooke that maybe no one knows or maybe they do know So far in our national championships and the three that she's played, she's never lost a match. That's just how she is. Like she has the ability to channel and do great things in the moment when it's required because she has great mind control. So I'm excited for her and and she might be my slipper pick for next week.
0: Let's talk about Megagana. You mentioned her as a, a a funny storyteller and somebody who keeps things light in the in the team room. She is a freshman. A lot of people might recognize her name from the time that she shared the lead after one round of the 2021 U.S. Women's Open when she was still in high school, which was quite impressive. How has Mega's freshman season gone so far?
2: It's been great um, having Mega as part of our team. She's such a personality. We didn't know we we tease her that she's low key famous. I had no idea. Our first event this year was Pebble Beach, and we show up to Pebble Beach, and like a couple people look at her, and then they're like, "Are you the U.S. Open girl?" <laughs> she's like, "Oh yeah, that's me." You know, and I thought, well, that's probably going to happen. We're on the West Coast, and that you know that was an Olympic Club. It was West Coast. And then we go to our second event, which was Seminole, so the complete opposite coast. You know, from Pacific Ocean to Atlantic. Here we go, like, cruising around, having dinner, and people are like. Excuse me, are you the US Open Girl? And so since then I've just I, I label her US Open Girl. She's low-key famous. And um, she did get to play with Lexi that last day at Olympic Club and I think that was a great experience for her because she was up close with Lexi as she was going you know, had a chance to win the open and then fight some demons coming down the stretch. So I mean Megas had a lot of experience in the game and that's fun to be around and then just the way she shares her story she keeps us all laughing.
0: What's her game like?
2: Oh, really solid, so you'll always find her in the fairway. She's never out of position. Uh, I would say she hits it inside fifteen feet as much as anyone on her team. I think she probably gives Rose a run for her money on how often she hits it inside fifteen feet. She's just very steady, she'll um sneak up on you, par, par par, par par, and then birdie birdie, and all of a sudden she you know she's posting a number, and I'm like, "Wait, you shot three under today." <laughs> Uh, So she's kind of sneaky that way, which is the best compliment I can give her. I think you want to be a sneaky player like that, very consistent, and then drop a putt here and there. Um, She's determined. She works very hard. In fact, she and Rose are out here right now in these blustery conditions, putting in the time and preparation for next week. Uh, She's a great academic, too. And so I think Mega just is one of those kids all around. I just heard her tell someone this recently, and it was such – it caught me off guard, but I loved it, and it stuck with me. She just told someone, I've never had a bad day. And I, it, I, I stopped in my tracks and I was like, that is so cool. You know, to hear an 18 year old or she just turned 19 say, I've never had a bad day. She always wears a smile and she's just very grateful for everything that comes her way.
0: I'm jealous now, actually. Yeah. I think that makes me angry that she's jealous never had a bad day. <laughs> yeah. So Rose Zeng, uh, number one player in women's amateur golf. She has won, I believe, five times this season.
2: She won five times, yeah.
0: She is trending, I would say, towards becoming the best college golfer of all time. I'm not sure what her plans are for the next couple of years, but she she's pretty much there. You know, male or female, she has to be way up that list right now. Certainly one of the favorites going into the Anwa. I'm curious. So, so what is Rose's formula for, for dominance? Because she's when you think of dominant golfers, often they're prodigiously long off the tee, right? That's Tiger Woods' formula. That's Jack Nicklaus. That's Annika Sorenstam to an extent. Annika's was quite long. My understanding is that Rose doesn't necessarily overpower courses, that she does it in a different way. And so how is it that she can be so dominant? What parts of her game are putting her ahead of everybody else right now?
2: Yeah, well, she hits a lot of greens, so she's never out of the fairway. She's not short, so I have to say that. She is not predominantly long, but she is, I would say, above average, shy of long. Uh, But then her irons don't really move much. But over time, I mean, I'm used to her hitting between 15 and 18 greens. She does that a lot. But over time, what I realize makes Rose exceptional is her distance control is beyond anything I've ever seen at the amateur level. When that ball lands, it is almost always pin high. Almost always. Huh. And if it's not pin high, it's a pace or two pass or a pace or two short. But it's never, oh my gosh, that looks so good. And then 30 yards short. You know, she never she has a variety of shots, so the elements don't affect her ball as much because she's able to hit shots that then take the elements out of play. So Number one, Rose Zing's distance control is amazing. Number two, I have seen Rose hit 12 greens, not often, but 12 greens, 11 greens, 10 greens. The kid can get up and down from anywhere and her chip will almost always be dead where it takes your breath away, where you think, oh my gosh, that was incredible. And it's the speed that it rolls up to the hole, dead. Rolls up to the hole, dead, and she walks up and she taps it in. The image that I have in my head that I'll probably forever keep in my head of Rose Zing is kind of seeing her out of position and then keeping an eye on her, like, okay, how how far does she have to the hole? And walking with her towel very gracefully up to the ball and tapping it in <laughs> from places that you can't imagine. And so and I, I, as a team, we've talked about this a lot. It's easy to look at Rose's scores to and easy to look at her dominance and think she must just stick it to the hole all the time and make all those putts she doesn't but the, on the days that are a struggle she will still post a score because she's going to have one or two birdie looks on par fives and when she misses the green it will be dead so her chip-in is what really over time has made her elite
0: now this is her her second year at stanford right i almost feel like she's a junior but she's she's a sophomore and so what has her ha, how has she been different this year in terms of her relationships with her teammates is she becoming more of a leader in, uh, on the team or is she kind of focused on, on her own game first and foremost?
2: I think she's a leader on the team when it, you know, just by virtue of her golf game, just being around someone like that. We had a team meeting when we came back from Meadow club where she tied her school record of nine, nine wins in 16 tournaments. Uh, Andrea mm-hmm. Lee had nine wins in three and a half years. Rose has nine wins in two and a, you know, just over a half. So we had a team meeting. And in that meeting, I addressed that for all of us to be in her company, these are days we'll never forget. I don't know if you saw, she just broke Lydia Ko's record of most day, uh, weeks at number one in the world. And that stuck with me because when we, I'd been watching her at Meadow Club, I was watching her make up and down from these places that were, you know, incredible. And then the next day watching her hit 17 greens uh, and I thought, I feel like I, it was funny. I thought to myself, I feel like I'm watching Lydia Ko or Lorena Chua. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to me because their games are that way. You know, they're, they're very good tee to green, just like, you know, a little better than everyone. Right. But then their careers are so much better than everyone because they do the little things that keep it tidy. Every score is tidy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what it feels like watching Rose. So, um, What's it like to have her be on the team? She's an amazing teammate. You'd be surprised. So humble. She never demands the attention. She never sucks the air out of the room with entitlement. She never does anything. She is a giver. She's always giving. Uh, She's always the first to offer up. You know, if we need someone to go pick up the dry cleaning, Rose will be the first to offer. She can do it. If Someone needs to write to to the airport. She's the first to offer. I can do it. Uh, Certainly not arrogant and superstar-ish of, you know, what we picture your superstars in sports to be. She has none of that. So I'll forever remember her long beyond this and talk to many generations to come about there is a way to be the very best and also do it with grace and humility.
0: All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and good luck with the rest of the season. Yeah. Thanks, Garrett. One more quick break and Meg and I will be back to talk about a couple of storylines that we're tracking this week all right so meg let's talk about the storylines that we are tracking this week in golf what are you looking at
1: Uh, it's it's Anwa for me uh i it's been circled for months and months thrilled to be going there in person it's this week the anticipation for the masters you know we're the best week in golf is coming, but Saturday is going to be pretty special as we're in the, we're in the fourth edition now and you have some players playing their fourth time as Anwa has kind of grown and it's, it's, um, you know, we're getting used to tuning in on Saturday before the masters for Anwa. It's starting to get, it's, it's some history, um, the fireworks on, on Saturday, it's becoming more of if you're, you know, golf fan, tuning in every weekend, you're watching Anwa every year. It's a great appetizer for the week to come. And I think this year's field should deliver the goods. The veterans that we have, Rose Zang, Ingrid Lindblad, uh, Latana Stone's back. She, uh, you know, missed out last year with a tough finish. There are so many big names in the talent is incredible. We have players with history now, mm-hmm. so I'm excited to see some of these some of these gals who have know what to expect now. Anna Davis, for example, handled it easily last mm-hmm. year. How does that pressure change this year? um You have sebasa Kajitani back this year. She was thrilled beyond belief to win in in er, uh,
0: 2021. 2019, was it, oh, geez, am I mixing up? No, you're ears? right, 2021, okay. you're right. 2019 <laughs> right. was Cup Show, 2019, you're right. 2019, that's right, that,
1: okay. But, you know, and she wasn't there last year, she's back this year. So you have the storylines of two former champions. How are they gonna perform? You have the veterans. Um, I'm really excited to see Ingrid Lindblad, who's been so close. Yeah. Um, Just, her name is always in the mix at, at ANWA. I just don't think anything that they are playing, whether they're teenagers or elite college players, it just pales in comparison to what you get at ANWA stepping on that first tee on Saturday at Augusta National. And so I think that the experience and having competitive rounds at Augusta under your belt is going to come in and make a difference this year.
0: Okay, my storyline for the week Going back over to Men's Golf, I have some lingering questions about the designated event model that I'm going to be curious to to see develop. Now, these aren't going to develop this week. This is going to be something that I'm tracking basically all this year and next year. But one question that was really on my mind this past week is, will the top players actually show up to all of these events, even though they're not mandatory? That's something I don't think has been discussed enough. But Eamon Lynch in his uh, column this week sort of called this out. He said, The WGCs served an obvious purpose for the PGA Tour in cutting off a commercial threat, as the designated events do now. But there exists a warning for Monaghan in how Fincham's baby eventually grew old and died. The WGCs proved that enormous purses and noble sentiments about competing against the best were not enough to guarantee the presence of top players. Eventually, they all stay home when it suits. Already, players have balked at participation being mandatory in designated events. Monaghan and his supporters will learn that when it's convenient for elite stars to compete for 20 million, they will. When it isn't, they won't. And I think that's right. And it undercuts the basic source of my optimism for the designated event model, which is that the top players will reliably show up to them. We haven't talked about it enough. That these events won't be mandatory next year and that that sort of defies the entire reason that, there were, that we're all excited about them. And so if all the top players show up to them reliably, great. But I don't know that that will happen. And I think this warning from Lynch having to do with the WGCs, which also had huge purses and no cuts and small fields and opportunities for players to really cash in. The WGCs proved that players didn't always show up for that, right? Because sometimes it didn't fit in their schedule, and I think that the same will be true of the designated events. That's something we need to keep in mind. The second lingering question I have is just about formats. The the match play died this year. I did a little bit of reporting. I'm not going to put too much stock in my my uh, my journalistic chops, but I did ask for comment from the PGA tour, which you know I don't often find myself doing, but I got frustrated this week because I was like, I don't know why this event is going away. I know there were some issues with it, but I really don't know the reason why it died. And so I asked the PGA tour and basically the response I got was, well, we've got this designated event model next year and the match play just didn't fit. And so I wonder whether this model is going to encourage some homogeneity of formats, whether it's really not going to accommodate events like the match play, which are unique and wonderful and just don't jibe with this new format of the designated event. I wonder if we're going to see tournaments like this go away, not be created because we're sticking to a certain format for designated events. If the PGA Tour can't figure out how to vary the format, under its new structure, that's a big problem to me. And so that's my second lingering question about the designated event model.
1: And if you want match play, we got LPGA at go. Shadow Creek in a few weeks. So yeah. if you need your if you need your match play fix. You know, a month or so left, and and you'll get it again.
0: That's a great event. I I hope the top players show up to that because it's a it's a tough one. <laughs> you know, it's a yeah, tough one a to slog. be in the Las Vegas Sun yeah. and then to immediately go from there to a major. It's right before the Chevron, right? Not this year. Not this Chevron. Year. Oh yeah, because yeah. the Chevron moved. Yeah. So okay. it
1: should be should be a, a stronger field. Okay, still, that's good. still a tough slog, but still a tough uh, one. You <laughs> don't have to turn around and and have a major a few. It's days a great
0: after. event. I mean, Shadow Creek is such a good venue for. I mean it. Yeah, if I'm putting my architecture hat on, the Shadow Creeks is not my favorite type of golf architecture. But for an event like this, for a match play event, I love seeing it. It works. it's a, yeah. it's a premier venue for for this type of event. It really works. And so, uh, yes, good point, Meg. Maybe the LPGA Tour can kind of take over some of the creativity that the PGA Tour seems to be pushing to the side. All right, that's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much, Meg.
1: Thanks, Garrett. See you soon.
0: This episode of the fried egg podcast was produced and edited by Matt ruchus. Thank you, Matt. If you would like to support the fried egg, there are a couple of things that you can do. One, leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast is always super helpful. Helps us find new listeners. Basically another way to support the fried egg is to become a club TFE member, go to the FriedEgg.com slash membership to see the details about what club tfe offers right now we're doing a daily blog a weekly course profile a monthly member only video we're doing hangouts with members virtual hangouts where we just kind of chat with members and chat with each other those have been super fun lots of other stuff offered through club tfe so again the slash membership thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon We'll be